0: You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. Hey guys, welcome back to OnlineCalvary.com and I'm so glad you're with us. And I hope that you are enjoying day 808 of house arrest as much as I am. It's like jail with all of the amenities in my family. Well, uh, so let me just begin by telling you this. My second car that I ever owned was a 1981 Toyota Corolla. I, I didn't have it for very long. I only owned it for six months. I was starting college. And i was working at this sub shop and i my job at the sub shop was i was the grill man we made like cheese steaks and stuff so that's all i did all day was make cheese steaks and whatever but they also delivered so sometimes i'd get in my car and make a a few deliveries just to make some extra money and i remember the the day uh, i was making this delivery and the address was 1840 south state road 7. now I know that that's a weird thing to remember, but you tend to remember addresses when traumatic things happen. And so I was in the middle lane going down uh, State Road 7, or 441 as it's called by some, and I saw the address, and it was, it was off to the right, and I thought, oh, this is the entrance right here. So I just make this turn from the middle lane, and thinking I could make it. Well, I was wrong, because in between the middle lane and the place that I was going to deliver was a blue Dotson and the, I made the turn, the car crashed into me. I was convinced that I was gonna die uh, because the bumper of the Datsun was literally in my passenger seat. And as I, the, my car starts kind of spinning and I thought, you know, this is it. And I was delivering food, so food starts flying everywhere. You can imagine like subs and french fries onion rings. They had ordered drinks. And the only thing that allowed me to realize that I had survived the crash was that they had ordered a, a, a fountain sun-kissed. And the sun-kiss exploded and just uh, hit me in the face. And, uh, and that's how I knew that I had survived. And I've always had a special connection with orange soda ever since that day. Now, here's the thing that's weird about experiences like that, is that experiences like that can be things that change us. Now, you don't wish a car crash on anyone. You don't wish any kind of difficulty or uh, personal struggle or circumstance on anyone. But these circumstances have an ability to do something that a million speeches and warnings and recommendations can never do. Now, previous to that, I used to be a bit of a reckless driver uh, I was 18 at the time, and I was cured that day. For more than 10 years, I never got so much as a warning. And my friends would joke with me because um, after a few years, my license got renewed, and it, ju- and it had said safe driver. And, and every time people would joke around about my driving, I'd take out my driver's license, like, check it out, suckas. Uh, I'm, I'm a safe driver. And, and, and once again, now, here's why I bring this up. We started this series uh, a few weeks ago called Viewfinder. And and our tagline was that it's the secret weapon to making sense of life. That kind of looking at things from a new perspective is the secret weapon to making sense of life. And and, and we've been recognizing this principle of life that perspective changes things even when nothing else has changed. And that it's possible for everything in your life to change, even though your circumstances look exactly the same. So we spent three weeks looking at this Old Testament prophet named Habakkuk. And we went through that book. And I wanted to spend a little bit more time uh, looking at these books and this section of the Bible that are called the Minor Prophets. Now, there are major prophets and just the way that the Bible is divided. There's the Torah, which is the first five books. Then there are the historical books, the poetic books, and then there's the books of the prophets. And they're split between major prophets and minor prophets. The major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, and then this other little book called Lamentations, which was written by Jeremiah. And then there's these 12 smaller books that are called minor prophets, and they're usually overlooked uh, for the most part. And they're called minor because the books are shorter compared to the major prophets. But there's another minor prophet that I want to spend a little bit of time looking at today and uh, probably for the next couple of Sundays. His name is Joel. And his book bears the same name. Now the name Joel or Joel in uh, in in Hebrew means Yahweh is God. and And Joel is writing around 830 BC. Now, if you're a Bible nerd like me and you want to nerd out for a minute, let me give you a couple of things that will be interesting for you to note. Uh, Joel was a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, if you remember, and we've talked about this many times, that Israel as a country split uh, in 931 BC. There was the northern kingdom that was called Israel that were the, the 10 of the 12 tribes. And then the southern kingdom was called Judah and it just had two Uh, tribes. That one was Benjamin and Judah and their capital was Jerusalem. And so Joel is a prophet to the southern kingdom sharing his prophecies that God is giving him around the area of Jerusalem. Now if you're familiar with some of the uh, Old Testament prophets uh, and you've read about Elisha Uh, In the book of 2 Kings, they were contemporaries. Elisha was a prophet to the northern kingdom, whereas Joel is a prophet to the southern kingdom. We don't know much about Joel uh, other than what he shares about himself at the beginning of the book. And the book of Joel is extremely important because it's quoted several times in the New Testament. In fact, we're going to spend some time uh, in in the next couple of weeks looking at the quotations that New Testament writers, looking back, pull from the book of Joel. If you are uh, interested in Bible prophecy, the writer of Revelation, if you've read the book of Revelation, the writer of Revelation assumes you're very familiar with the book of Joel. And so, now, here's what we need to know as we start this book. Israel, or the southern kingdom of Judah in particular, they have gone through a national crisis. Locusts have destroyed much of the food supply. And it is so bad that Joel comes on the scene and starts explaining why this took place that this horrific thing had happened for the purpose of waking up the nation and bringing them back to God now here's what you're going to uh, you know discover in our time together if you've ever wondered you've had a situation like that in your life and you're like man why is God allowing this then you're going this is part part of the answer no, it's not going to be all of the answer but Part of what we talk about is part of what God is doing when this circumstance uh, happens. Now, if you've ever asked God to change your situation and God ends up doing something else, it's because of what we're going to look at today. And if you've ever asked God to change someone else and God starts working on changing you, it's because of what we're going to talk about today. And And if you're watching this and you're saying, man, my life is a mess right now. Everything is kind of turned upside down. And you're wondering, man, has God forgotten me? I've been praying for this thing to be fixed and it hasn't been fixed, then uh, I'm glad you're here because this is going to be a powerful time for us. So we're going to start in Joel chapter one in verse one, and here's what we read. It says, The word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders, and give ear, you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children, and let their children another generation, what the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten, and what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it has been cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, strong and without number. His teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he has the fangs of a fierce lion. He has laid waste my vine. He has ruined my fig tree. He has stripped it bare and thrown it away. Its branches are made white. Now if you pause there and give me your attention, let me, so here's the question. I mean, why locusts? I mean, first, you got to understand that locusts are incredibly destructive. Uh, interestingly enough, before coronavirus kind of came into our world, uh, this locust issue uh, was beginning uh, to hit our world and people were beginning to take notice. There are locusts, I mean like insane swarms of locusts that are hitting the continent of Africa right now, uh, particularly the, con- the the countries of Kenya, Ethiopia, and Somalia, um, you'll, you'll see that they can destroy uh, just like these fields that are full of wheat and corn in just a matter of minutes. In fact, uh, the Washington Post uh, covered this recently, and I'm going to show you here on the screen a few pictures that you can see. And uh, you, you'll, you'll see this. This is totally insane. And they the locust can cover up to a hundred miles a day. And what happens is, is that they just come into a field and within a matter of minutes, they can destroy acres and acres and acres of crops and uh, grass and, I mean, anything that comes into its path. Now, according to what we read in the book of Joel, something similar to what we see happening in Africa happened in Israel. And it was for a purpose, I mean, to wake the people up. Joel says in verse 5, he says, Awake, you drunkards, and weep. It's like, this was the, this is the wake-up call. It was the message for the people who were not walking with God. And, and why is this? Why, what did locusts represent in the collective understanding of the nation that would have gotten their attention? Now, I grew up in Boston, many of you know, and I grew up probably about 15 minutes, 20 minutes max from the site of the Boston Tea Party. And uh, this is where, if you're familiar with this, this is in December of 1773, where Bostonians threw tea into the harbor uh, because of Britain's overtaxation. Now, if we talk um, as, you know, once again, we're people who live in America, and we talk about, you know, we're going to toss tea into the harbor, that's connected to an idea. It's connected to this idea of taxation. In the same way, locusts, had a specific idea that it was connected to, to the nation of Israel. In the book of Exodus, Moses comes to Pharaoh. And if you've read the book or seen the movie, then you know that Moses tells the people, uh, Moses tells Pharaoh to let the people go. And uh, Pharaoh famously says no. And then God sends 10 plagues. In Exodus chapter 10, the eighth plague is unleashed which is a plague of locusts. But something happens after this plague that's important to understand is that Pharaoh repents. And it says this in Exodus chapter 10 verse 16. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. This is what God is seeking to happen. That The locust comes, and then Pharaoh's like, oh man, I've done something wrong. Now, eventually he would change his mind, and it wouldn't be until after the 10th and final plague. But once again, what God is using here is he's reminding the people of what happened. Remember what happened back then? Yeah, then Pharaoh repented. And this is the very thing that he was seeking to have happen, which is for the people to come back to him. More on that in a minute. All right, he goes on. In uh, verse 11, and he mentions two other groups that I want us to uh, that I want us to check out. Look at what it says in verse 11. He says, "Be ashamed, you farmers; wail, you vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine has dried up, and the fig tree has withered. The pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are withered. Surely joy has withered away." from the sons of men. Gird yourselves and lament, you priests. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, you who minister to my God. For the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast and call a sacred assembly. Gather the elders and the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord and cry out, to the Lord. Now if you pause there and give me your attention, there's uh, two groups that Joel mentions. Now once again, first thing he mentioned was the drunkards. These are the people that were far from God completely. Then he mentions two other groups. He talks about the farmers and then the priests. Now you have to understand that this was an agrarian culture. Uh, This was everyone who was listening Uh, in this culture, was a farmer of some type. And even if you weren't a farmer, you had uh, flocks and you were feeding people from grain and all other crops. And all of their harvest is destroyed. All of the way that they can feed these animals has been uh, depleted. And so now that even their food source of of animals has been uh, wiped out, their income has been wiped out. This is a complete financial meltdown. And there's a purpose for it. The priests are mentioned because the priests had offerings. When he mentions, you'll see it in verse uh, 13, where he says the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld. Why? Because they, they couldn't offer these offerings because of the locusts. And that's why Joel says, pray and fast, because the grain and the drink offerings are gone. It was a call for people not just to have this external appearance of religion, but instead to have a true faith that's internal and genuine, in nature. And that's why at the end of the chapter is Joel's uh, prayer to God. And here's what he says. He says, O oh Lord, to you I cry out, for fire has devoured the open pastures, and a flame has burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field also cry out to you, for the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the open pastures. This is the thing that God is seeking. And that's why in chapter 2, God explains what he's doing, why all this has taken place, and the good that it can bring. So, in chapter 2, starting in verse 12, here's what we read. He says, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. If you pause there and give me your attention, if you're a note taker, here's the first thing I want you to note, and that is that God is using this moment to draw us back to him. You see, what God is not looking for is lip service or just outwardly doing the right thing, whereas inwardly we hate every minute of it. That's why in verse 13, uh, God says to the people, he says, listen, rend your heart, not your garments. Now you have to understand in that culture, when someone made this, uh, uh, this show of repentance, like, oh, I'm repenting, they would rip their clothes and then take dirt and throw it on their heads. And, and what he's saying is, I don't need any of the show. What I need you to do is really mean it. I need your heart to turn towards me. And that's what's going to make all the difference. It's kind of like what happens if you're a parent. Um, My daughter Mia is 13. But when she was about four years old, I'll, I'll never forget this, that she went through this phase where she would say, her answer to everything was, yes, but I love you. And no matter what the, the problem was, which most of the time is great, I would, you know, one morning, you know, I, I would I, I woke up and I heard her playing in her room and I walked in and I'm like, good morning, mama. And, and she's like, dad, I love you. And and it was so great. But then there were moments where it didn't make sense, where I would ask Mia, Mia, uh, you start cleaning your room and then I'll come in in a few minutes to help you. And then I walk in and Mia is playing with her toys. And I'm like, Mia, didn't I ask you to pick up your toys, not play with them? And she'd say, um, but dad, I love you. And, and, and so one day, uh, same day, we're at the dinner table and Mia's not eating and I'm like, Mia, um, eat your food. And she says, but dad, I love you. And, and, and so and this is where now we had like this heart to heart moment. And, and I said, Mia, you know, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know what that means? That means that if we love God, We'll do what he says. That's one of the ways that we show God that we love him. And one of the ways that you show me that you love me is by listening to the words that I'm speaking to you. Do you understand? And she's like, yes. And she's like, dad, but can I say something? And I'm like, of course. She says, uh, but dad, I love you. And, and okay. And, uh, and, and here's the thing is that um, it's not just the words, that, that the words have to be backed up by heart, in action it's not just acting like we're coming to god what matters is actually coming to him and drawing close to him and the blessing that comes is that we now learn who god is one of the reasons why people don't come to god is because they have a complete uh, it's a caricature of what of, of who god actually is oh man i just feel like god's upset with me and he's angry at me and he just wants to you know clobber me and no that that's not who god is What we read here is he says return to the Lord. He's gracious and merciful and and slow to anger and, uh, and of great kindness and he relents from doing harm. And listen, here's what that means for those of us that are Christians is that if we are God's people, I hope that we are reflecting the gracious and merciful and slow to anger and great kindness and relents from doing harm. I hope we're reflecting that in the lives that we live. You see, the Bible says this, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 2, he, he, he says this uh, to the people in Rome. He says, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? The, the thing is, is that sometimes we think, well, well, just God's going to judge them. No, no, no. Realize this, that whenever we respond to God, we've always responded out of his goodness and grace. That's how God wants to deal with us. Listen, when the locusts come, that is an extreme measure. You see, when we come to God and we embrace change and what he wants to do in our lives, not because God's waiting to whack us over the head when we mess up, but instead because he is love and that the best possible life that we could ever find is life in knowing him. You see, that's the part that's so heartbreaking, when we disobey God, it never works out. Nobody has ever said, you know what happened is I read the Bible. And I said, "I don't even got it. But I've got this other idea and it worked out so awesome." Like nobody's ever said that. Instead, the closer that we press in, the more joy there is to be found. Second thing in verse 14, he says this. Not only does he relent from doing harm, then he asks the question, "Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. A grain offering and drink offering for the Lord your God. Notice that there wasn't a grain and drink offering before. And now he's saying, what if God leaves a blessing behind him and now there's the opportunity for the grain and drink offering? And so if you're taking note, the second thing that I want you to note is this, is that God has the life that you're looking for. You see, there's a play on words here that happens where in the beginning of the book, in chapter one, Joel has talked about what the locusts leave behind them. They leave destruction. Here, God says, here's what God leaves behind, is blessing. He leaves a blessing behind him. And and listen, too many of us live lives in frustration because the life that we want eludes us. Wise is the person who realizes that God has been trying to give you the blessed life that we've been desiring all along. One Sunday after church, we were headed to lunch and my kids were making suggestions as far as where we should go. And um, we decided that we were going to go to Pincho Factory in Pembroke Pines, which if you haven't gone, you should, uh, you should go. It's, it's totally legit. Well, my daughter, Livy, she gets very upset. She doesn't want to go. I don't want to go to Pincho. I want to go to this other place where there's a sign above the door. And, and, and now we don't know what that means. And what does the sign say? I don't know. What does the sign look like? I don't know. I just want to go to the place. Anyway, and so my wife says, are you paying? Uh, are you going to pay for lunch? No? Okay, then we're picking where we go to lunch. And so anyway, we get to Pincho. We get out of the car and we get to the door and she's like, this is the place. Look, that's the sign above the door. And and here's the thing: she had been so upset the whole time. And I'm telling you, this is why parents get old. Uh, it's it's because there's just only so much crazy a person can handle before they just start aging in fast-forward type speeds. And and. Uh, And this this is the thing, right, is that God wants to do a work in our lives, but we've got to come to him to experience it. And a lot of times it's like, yeah, I want this kind of life, but I don't want want to go to God to get it. And it's like, that's the only place you're going to get it. Listen, and, and for too many of us, we can relate to the locusts destroying everything because we've lived it. We've experienced relationships that have been destroyed. Finances that have been destroyed. Careers that have been destroyed. Families and marriages and friendships destroyed by the locusts. And listen, there's just, it's no way to live. And if we're being honest, it's killing you. This is why God says, listen, I'm loving and gracious and merciful. And when you draw close to me, there's a blessing that I leave in my wake. Listen, when I look at my life before coming to know Jesus, it was all locusts. Everything was destroyed. It was a complete mess. I came to know Jesus in um, May of uh, 1993, 27 years ago. And And listen, it has not been, since that moment, it's been all rainbows and unicorns. It has not. But everything that I've allowed God to touch in my life, everything that I've let him control in my life, what God has left behind in his wake, has been blessing. And listen, some of you that are watching this, you've experienced the same thing since giving your life to Jesus. And, 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 and here's the other thing that maybe you didn't realize that he does, but you'll see this in verse 15, and here's where we're gonna draw it to a close. He says, blow the trumpet in Zion consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babes, let the bridegroom go out from his chamber, let the bride from her dressing room, let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not give your heritage to reproach that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their god last thing i want to show you is that god will change your life by changing you see there's something amazing that i want you to catch here that i think is so huge verses 15 and 16 this blow a trumpet in zion consecrate a fast call a sacred assembly that's all a call to the priests in chapter one that we read earlier it was a call for the priests to gather together and cry out to god but this time there is a difference it's time to sanctify the people And what does that mean? What does sanctify mean? To sanctify something is to set it apart for a special purpose. The word originates in the Hebrew temple where vessels, which would be normal vessels, were consecrated. They were sanctified. They were set apart to only be used for God's purposes. Now, that's a process that God does with people, that's called sanctification. It's the process of God making you more like Jesus throughout the course of your life. And, and, and the Apostle Paul in First Thessalonians says this, he says this, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is God's deepest desire for your life, that you would be transformed and that your life would look more and more like Jesus each and every day. You see, this is the amazing thing that God does. He changes you. And in doing so, everything changes, even if nothing around you has changed. Because if you change, you become an agent of change in every room you walk in, every conversation you enter to, and every situation that you get involved in. And I know the thing that you want most is for your situation to change, right? Like we want, uh, uh, you know, it's like we want a better marriage, we want a better career, better pay, and better friends, and and we're praying, God, I, I, I and it's amazing how it changes. Because it's just it being different, right? Because we'll say, God, I want to get married. And then you get married. It's like, God, I want to be married to somebody else. And then you say, God, I I want a baby. And then you're like, God, this baby is now 28 years old and won't leave my house. And, 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 And here's what happens is that, listen, God isn't just into making things better. God wants to make you better. Because following Jesus, listen, doesn't just make your life better. Following Jesus makes you better at life. And God usually uses some type of locust situation to accelerate the process. So if you're looking around and you're like, man, why, I just, what's up with the locusts? It means that God is doing something. And our job, listen, isn't to get out the raid can and, and I'm going to get rid of these locusts. No, no, no. Our job is to allow God to transform us into someone who looks more like Jesus each and every day. And when I do that, and when we do that, everything begins to change and, and listen and, and I realized that you know it's like I, I wish it wasn't true but it totally is that if it wasn't for the locusts in my life those difficult situations that I wish I didn't have to go through and the same thing is true for you if it wasn't for the locusts the difficult situations in your life you would not have experienced the transformation that you've experienced thus far because he's taking all of it and working it together for good. And that doesn't mean that the situation you're going through is good. Maybe it's not good. And maybe what you're feeling isn't good. And maybe the locusts, man, they are destroying. And you have no idea how this is going to work out. The good news is this. Your job isn't to figure out every detail. Your job is to let God transform you. Let him change you into a person that hears God's voice and follows God's lead and trusts God. God's heart because God really is working things together for good because he's for you and because he's working everything together for your good, for my good, for our good. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that promise, for that reality and we just ask that you would do the work that only you can do. God, some of us are facing locust-type situations right now, difficulties, and we're not really sure how they get resolved. We just ask this, that you transform us and that you would do what you can only do and that you would allow us to simply follow you and do what we're supposed to do. So we commit all these things to you now. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.